the All Souls for Two Women podcast, episode 15, Survival Strategies from the All Souls Trilogy. Welcome to All Souls for Two Women, a fan and definitely not official podcast where we talk all things All Souls. We're three women who met over Outlander and then jumped into the All Souls world like the time-traveling witches we wish we were. When we recorded our last episode, we certainly didn't think that our next one would be recorded in the midst of a pandemic. And yet, here we are. In a shockingly small period of time, we've been thrown into a world that is barely recognizable to us. People are working on the front lines, people aren't working at all, or they're trying to work from home, which brings its own set of challenges, which I'm sure we will get into at some point. And despite all this chaos, we have this notion that we can keep all the balls in the air. And one month into the lockdown, stay-at-home orders and self-isolation, the veneer of our calm is starting to crack. Can I get an amen? Yes, just just a titch. In light of all the life changes we're experiencing right now, we thought we would take a look at the survival strategies of our favorite characters in Deb Harkness's All Souls trilogy, plus Times Comfort. With any luck, a few of these will help us cope just a little bit better during COVID-19 and the new normal that is inevitable. And here to talk about all of those things is... um, who are these people? Oh, God. <laughs> I ask myself that question every day. Right. And here to talk about all of those things and so many more, I'm sure, are Ashley. Hey there. And Janet. Hi. We recently published a blog post titled Six Crisis Management Strategies from the All Souls Trilogy. And if you haven't read that yet, you can find it at allsoulswitchywomen.com. This piece focused on leadership qualities and strategies, but we wanted to steer this podcast in a different direction. This isn't about keeping your company or your family afloat. This is about keeping you afloat. Flight attendants always remind us to secure our own oxygen mask first, and this is Definitely a life motto for us, and we want to take an opportunity here to honor that. For this podcast, we've got eight tools for sanity that the creatures of all souls help remind us can work. Whether it's solving a centuries-old mystery, battling good and evil, or just making it through a day in the time of corona. So, whew, that is a lot to tackle, but we're going to do it. Yep. I think it's... For me, I've got to tell you what I've been looking forward to is just even talking about this feels like a strategy for survival to me. (laughs) Just to have this time with you all to even talk about the ways in which we might be able to stay sane is providing sanity. Yeah, and it's even as we were doing sort of the prep for this and thinking about it, I mean, it's a good reminder to take care of yourself and how to do that because we all can get lost in the spiral of bad news and et cetera, et cetera. So... We hope people take something away from this. Absolutely. We wanted to start with family because we really think that family is first. And some of us are trapped. I mean, living in a house (laughs) with family members. (laughs) Some of us have family members that are far away that we're worried about. I mean, family really figures prominently in this crisis in one way or another. So we thought that's where we would start. Trapped with our families. Anyway, um... (laughs) I've been asking people this question all week. Are you viewing home as a sanctuary or as a prison? And does it Mm. fluctuate day by day? Mm. Ooh, good question. Yes. And? (laughs) Yes. 
I've heard a mixed bag and I've heard a changing answer depending on the day or the volume of what you've tackled during the day. Or, you're, you know, I've just even seen a lessening in people's resistance to call it a prison. Is it okay? It's okay for me to admit I feel like I'm trapped. Um, and I'm, you know, because there's so many reminders to find all the simple joys right now and to lean into family and find the simple joys and all that. And we're going to, of course, talk about that. But I think it almost brings up people feeling like, is it okay if I don't feel that yet? Or if I have a day where I'm not feeling that, is that acceptable? during this time. I think I for sure fluctuate. I generally, if I feel like home is a prison, I, you know, I benefit from living further south than you all do to have had warmer climates to deal with this thus far. So I've spent a lot of time escaping, quote unquote, the prison mentality by just getting away from the physical dwelling and going out into nature. And that has seemed to have solved it some, but... Well, my I mean to hijack us all, all right off the bat. I'm like, that is that the first one? No, sorry. Look well, at me keeping us on track. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing is you guys each have um, kids at home, right? And I do think that makes a difference too, because, you know, we're acutely aware of how we're navigating sort of the messaging around this, right? I mean, you want your child, you know, Caitlin's a teenager, Travis is just in first grade, right? So it's very different. And I watch it with my daughter and her third grader, and it's, it's hard because it's a very challenging thing. And so I would think one of the challenges is sort of saying it's a prison you don't want to say that like in front of your kid because that can be interpreted the wrong way. And yet at the same time, you want to sort of open the door for that possible conversation for the child to be able to say, yeah, I feel that way too. You know, so it's like this dance all the time of trying to figure out the right way to communicate the emotions without sort of going too far over the edge. I mean, I'm just here with my husband. Fortunately, we each have our own bedroom that we've commandeered for an office and that sort of makes makes it easier. But, you know, I deal with my kids, but I deal with them from afar. Mm -hmm. So I think that's challenging. But at the same time, I look at people who are by themselves, isolated, working remotely, right? Like I look at two of my sons and I think that creates its own challenge. And so Mm -hmm. this brings us back to sort of the family first and how family can rally around and what we see in our people. I thought about the family relationships in Discovery, which is, I thought about Matthew and Marcus, and I keep hearing Matthew going, Christ, Marcus! (laughs) I know. I've had some Christ, Marcus moments with my child, and this is going to be really interesting because the intern is editing this podcast, so she's going to hear all this, but it won't, any of it come as a surprise to her, but I've I've truly had some Christ, Marcus moments with her in the last few weeks. But like Marcus and Matthew, when the chips are down, you know, we rally around each other, right? You just have these moments where you're in a space, whether it be a car after leaving the police station or this house that has become your (laughs) refuge or prison, you know, things boil over and they're gonna boil over. And I think, you know, one of the things that we can do as family is just let those emotions kind of come out when they do and then be prepared to deal with the fallout. Right. The banana muffin incident, which I... (laughs) lost my shit over and then I had to go and apologize later (laughs) and she graciously accepted my apology and she let me kiss her on the forehead so you know well that's good right but you see that with the bishops and the de Claremonts etc they don't always agree but at a certain point in there they say all right but we're gonna rally together around this you know I think Isabeau says it nicely when she says after she realizes she can't convince Matthew to get rid of Diana you know he really does love her and they're really going to mate etc and she says you know you're an enemies are now my enemies. We will fight as a family. And, you know, that's basically what we're all doing on some levels um, around this this pandemic, what's happening economically. And uh, we won't discuss politics. (laughs) But if we did, that might be relevant. (laughs) Hmm. 
I'd really like to create a new meter that comes out of this. Nikki, I'm sorry. I'm just having trouble. Like, what is my Christ Marcus count of today, of this whole? <laughs> so coming soon to a social channel near you. Tell us your Christ Marcus count. But, you know, I think what I like about what the two of you have reminded me, even as we're recording in the middle of this, is that the Christ Marcus moments are okay. And, like, by you even having them with your kid, you're showing her that it's a release of emotion is totally healthy, too. That you don't have to bottle it in. That it is something that is healthy because internalizing it can lead to further problems down the road or even in the immediate. And I also like that even, like, sitting and having the conversation about how it is okay to do that I think part of my struggle on a daily basis outside of these times and now even more so during these times is that I feel like the professional job exhausts me so much and the daily struggle slash juggle that when I get home I feel like you know my family gets the scraps that are left over right everyone else has picked at the carcass all day long (laughs) and whatever's left is what the people who mean the most to you get and this time has allowed a really great control alt hard reset (laughs) to be like we're all in it we get the same chance at each other each day right and i don't want to reserve just what's left over for you and so now i'm having to prioritize you as part of that entire day as opposed to you getting now he's getting some fragmented pieces for sure but we're kind of (laughs) sharing it together and he's feeling his own fragment and normally i don't see that during his school day and he doesn't see it during my work day so there's something about reminding yourselves that family does come first and this time is forcing that in a way that I think was desperately needed for me in my own world but I'm sure for many and I just you know I I don't know and the idea that your individual battles are the family battles if there was ever was a time to underscore that it's certainly now so I overall hope that everyone comes out of this with all the learnings that we're taking from it and the things that we are doing to try and care for ourselves during these times it is fucking chaotic there we are we've we've hit our e right I'm pretty sure yes I'm pretty sure Nikki said shit earlier but whatever yeah it's true (laughs) um you know but it's just I don't know the family first messaging even when it's hard and then like to show to your point like it's okay to have the cracks, the cracks show, and it's healthy to show the cracks and let me show you what they look like. But also, like, let me not use all my conflict and crisis resolution skills during the day, during my work job. Like, I got a few left over for all of us here, too. Mm-hmm. Right. And so seeing how sort of the declaremonts and the bishops have the arguments, have the disagreements, have the things, and yet still come back to sort of reunite and unite and fight for the greater good is reassuring. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, and one of the things that I was thinking about was the women of the bishop house, and we mm-hmm. know who they are, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But I love calling them the women of the bishop house because it makes the three of them, Sarah, Emily, and Diana, seem like this one entity. And I love that image as we're thinking about this as families, you know, coming together and fighting this thing together. And the women of the bishop house, you know, they did that. They had their disagreements heated disagreements, but then they came together. One of the points that we were thinking about was the speakerphone, <laughs> the family calls. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? These women were just, they were hungry for one of these Zoom family calls. But yeah. we did, they didn't have the need for it, but they were they were piloting it before we long before we did it. It reminds me, I was really, really addicted to a show that has, I don't know, about a decade ago, Brothers and Sisters. And part of it really revolved around them doing these Walker family phone calls. Sally Field would call one and then they would all connect to each other and you would just hear them get on the phone and argue oh, yeah. and try and tackle it. Yeah. So my sister and I still refer to anytime we kind of conference in my parents as like, oh, we're doing a Walker family phone call? Okay. So I always thought of that when I saw this because I'm like, 
one of them was holding the phone and then the other one just knows and goes right to it, right? Because she's like, I'm all in. I'm helping to solve this. I want to tell you you're stupid. I want to tell you I love you anyway. I want to be part of it. And so it feels really timely to right now because that's the way we can still do that moment with family we might be used to seeing more in person than we're able to right now is to have these moments over speakerphone or over video family calls or whatever they might be. But then when, you know, push comes to shove and they all got back under one roof, not only were they the unit of the three, but they were willing to kind of dig in and build a larger community and a safe haven for others to come Mm -hmm. into, which I really liked too. As you think about this, like, my God, these women were like, is there a problem to be had? We turn our house into the war room. We expand it if needed to include others. Like whatever anyone needs right now, we're here for you. And I loved how that fits to right now. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well said. Now I feel warm and fuzzy. Oh, wait, that was the gin and tonic. Never mind. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad we're drinking. Anyway. (laughs) Same. I'm assuming that's one of the eight. And if not, bonus. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. That's, that will fill that in at various points of, oh, and don't yes. forget the alcohol. Right. Yeah. Right. Just yeah. the constant. One of the next things that I, the, the next thing has, has two pieces and they're so intertwined that it's, it's really hard for me to sort of separate them. But the first is believe in yourself. This has been incredibly hard during this time for me and I know for other people, but believing in yourself, believing that you can get through these situations is vital to surviving them. And there are a lot of great examples from the books about the characters believing in themselves and Diana, for sure. Diana pushed a lot of her past aside because she didn't think she could deal with it and have the life that she wanted. And as the books go on, well, she didn't exactly have the life she wanted. She might have had a better one. And I think about those things as I go through a day and I think about life being changed and knowing that it will never be the same. And then trying to turn that and go, and maybe that's okay. It'll be different, but maybe it will be okay. And knowing that you have whatever you need inside you to face whatever that next thing is has been key for me. And I'm not always great at it. Yeah. Well, and so I think that's, you know, it's a, great reminder of sort of, you know, when you're having a bad day, which we all have, of just, you know, taking a minute to step back and go, all right, wait, no, I can do this. Like, I have more strength than I realized. I mean, Diana realizes that, right? I can do these things where she has to sort of jump in to save Matthew or save other people at other points. I mean, she finds that inner reserve and believes that she can make it happen. And so I think I try when I'm not having a good part of a day around this to just sort of say, all right, it's temporary. That's something that also helps me sort of think it through. It's just like, all right, this is where I am right now in this moment, but that doesn't mean that I can't be in a different moment, you know, X number of moments from now. Or if I just do this one thing, I can make this other thing happen. And I think there are lots of characters who give us examples of that. But, you know, Diana is certainly the primo. She really discovers herself after she starts to believe in herself. So we talked in the prep for this about Isabeau saying to Diana, don't fear your own power. You're stronger than you think. And I've talked about this before, but I have an anxiety disorder. And so the thing that can sometimes hold me back in a way I think has become a bit of a superpower during this. (laughs) And it certainly wasn't during like the first week, but then after you sort of internalize everything, there's sort of a calm that comes around it. Because if you live with anxiety 
all of your life is what if this horrible things or happens or what if this horrible things happen and and you spend your life thinking about all these terrible things that are probably never going to happen and you know that but you can't help thinking about them and then one day you wake up and realize oh fuck all the horrible things have happened <laughs> i know how to deal with this because i have literally been planning this all of my adult life <laughs> And I actually yelled at my family about a week ago. I'm the one you want in a pandemic. <laughs> God, sew that on a pillow. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> right. I'm going to start my cross stitch right now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> because I'm the one who was like, no, I know exactly what to do with the groceries. And when we come in the house from outside, which we don't, we go on for walks now, but we, you know, we're not going to stores or anything. But at the time when we were still going to stores, it was like, okay, this is the protocol. This is how we clean off. This is where we put our coats. This is how I'm going to take care of the groceries before Dr. Sanjay Gupta even told me what to do with the groceries. I knew what to do with it. And I'm like, this is the most powerful I've ever been in all my life. Well, but you know, and that's a beautiful thing though. Right. Because I love how you described it as sort of your superpower, because a lot of people think of anxiety. I mean, a lot of times anxiety is debilitating and it's all negative. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it turns out there's an upside to some of this stuff. But part of that is because you have a belief in yourself, because you have spent all this time practicing (laughs) for the end of the world as we know it. So thank you, Nikki, for doing all the hard work. Yes. You're very welcome. Right. Well, that's a. I like that because it's a far more positive way to look at it than <laughs> sitting here going, so what did you learn from this? Like, nothing. Anxiety works. Like, look at this. But to Janet's point, like, just keep it in the positive spin. Otherwise, you know, I'm sure that your whole life people have been like, stop. It's going to be fine. Yes. It's going to be fine. Right. And you're like, no, it's not freaking fine. I told you people. And so you're like, what, 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 what do we learn? What I'm anxious about actually came true. But to Janet's point that you have enough wherewithal and inner strength to focus it on the positive that like, okay, this anxiety prepped me in a place to handle this better than I would have if I hadn't. I wouldn't feel so maybe like the rug's been pulled out underneath me because I've been thinking that this could be a thing and I've been putting things measures in place to deal with it long before they were recommended measures so right snaps to you right um I also I think what I love about Diana too is just the moments where like even before she finds her inner strength because I know we've had this where we're like I'm done I can't and then all of a sudden you just find a sixth seventh gear that you didn't Mm -hmm. know existed to keep you moving and it made me think about her when she didn't quite yet believe in her power but everything innate knows to come out like you find your voice when you need it and you find that power when you need it. So she's like trying to move the butter. She doesn't need to move the butter, right? But when there <laughs> becomes a moment of needing to get out of the hole that Satu's put her in or needing to defend Matthew against Juliet or when the power really has the need to come out or even in the library, you know, just the innate reaction that she has, you know, when she starts the wind going. I just love the idea that sometimes when we think it's not in there, it comes out on its own where when it needs to. So it's like no matter what, whether it's your brain that it's the slowest to catch up. Mm. Everything instinctually within you will do the part for you until you catch up. Right. That's a really good way of putting it too, because sometimes it's your body or your innate sort of spiritual psychic self knows what to do. We get in the way intellectually. Right. Right. And so it's that what's the ultimate belief in yourself? It's letting go of some of that other stuff and just letting your interior sort of do what it should do. And then later you observe it and go, oh, that was awesome. Right. <laughs> I, sh- I should let that part do more. <laughs> right? right. 
And, you know, and that is part of what Diana has to figure out. And I mean, there are others. I mean, Matthew does too, I think, on some levels. He has to realize, you know, he has a similar kind of letting go, but for other reasons. But the other part of this is acknowledging your fear, right? Yeah. Which you put that as the second half. I think that's brilliant. Didn't you write that in our little notes here? I did, I think. Really hard for me to separate them because I really think that honesty is what helps you be confident. And because if I know that there's, we, we talk about imposter syndrome, right? You think I don't belong here or I'm not cut out for this or somebody else should be doing this. Somebody else knows more about this. Why am I here? And a lot of those reactions come from fear mm-hmm. um, that we just, we don't think we're good enough. And we wind up in places because we are good enough and we need to acknowledge the fear that sometimes gets associated that we wrap around those things call it what it is and move past it and then start to believe in yourself i think that sort of acknowledgement i mean it's scary to acknowledge your fear right that creates its own fear right but i think this kind of situation is an opportunity to sort of be like all right look i can't hold on to that kind of crap so i have to let it go otherwise it becomes too anxiety producing all the time. So it's a position of strength, but it is scary to do it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I also think when you're in a house with the same person, you know, basically all the time, it's a lot harder to sort of not admit your emotions, right? Because <laughs> like, you know, look at it. I mean, I'll take me and Peter as an example, right? I mean, we both work. He leaves the house at eight o'clock in the morning, comes home at 7.30. I like do my jobs, which are various, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we meet over dinner and then it's like, somebody may or may not fall asleep in a chair watching TV. In other words, you can go periods of time without ever having to sort of access or admit or explain your emotions because it's just, there's too much going on, right? And But when you're here and you're here all the time and it's almost impossible not to see what's going on in the world, even if you limit your news intake, there's going to be some moment in the day where you go, holy fuck. And when you're in the same place with somebody, I think everybody's more raw and we should take advantage of that, I guess is my point. <laughs> well, I was I think the first two weeks of being home were really the most difficult for all the reasons that you described. You had a routine and now your routine is literally just waking up and staying in the same place all day. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you say staying in the same place or pants? I, I didn't hear you. <laughs> oh, that could happen I too. Right. Soft pants. Soft pants. <laughs> Right. Are any of us going back to hard pants? I don't know. I have on a pair of pants with a zipper today. Today's a zipper pants day. I still don't understand what the zipper is. About. <laughs> right. Snaps for Janet. Well, the no zipper and the refusal to even wrap your brain around what it could be is going to set you up very nicely for Elizabethan England. Oh, yeah. True. In season two. Yeah. True. And we worked in a mansion. You may drink. Yes, right. <laughs> drink. Here we go. Sorry, Nikki, continue your... Well, uh, just, yes. just as, as, as another segue, yesterday I tried on my rings just to make sure I hadn't gained so much weight that I couldn't wear them. <laughs> just... Well, but <laughs> what was the verdict? I, they, they fit. Oh, well, Maybe better than they did a month ago, so I was very excited about that. Well, so there you Listen, go. Listen, if they don't, just put them on your pinky. That's a finger. We don't have to get specific <laughs> about the finger. Right. Everybody shift. Right. Everybody shift one to the right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, now I have 17 pinky rings. Who knew? Right. I was just going to say, the first two weeks of this were so difficult because um, Jura had been traveling. He'd been on the road. He's going to be so excited because I said his name. 
but he had been traveling, you know, the kid had been at school, I had been at the office, and we knew this thing had a 14-day incubation period, right? And I just feel like for the first two weeks, me being the anxiety-ridden one, I was just looking at everybody all the time, like, did they cough? Are they flushed? Are they warm? And I... Honestly, I can't imagine what it was like for the two of them to live with me because I know they knew what I was doing. <laughs> you know, trying to inconspicuously touch their cheeks. <laughs> and as time has gone on, it's been easier because we've lessened our exposure and it's down to like once a week trips to the grocery store. But those first two weeks were really difficult because you, you just never knew if somebody was going to wake up in the middle of the night. And, you know, we still never know. If they're going to wake up in the middle of the night with a fever or coffin or whatever. But that shit's terrifying. True story. And, yeah. And, you know, we have since, you know, since we're past that, we have, you know, Drew and I have talked about that. Like, you know, the night I kept looking at him. Turns out, well, he did feel flushed and he thought he had a fever. And I kept looking over at him like, is he okay? But we didn't talk about that at the time because I don't think it would have done either one of us any good. But, you know, we've had a debrief since then, and we were both on the same page, it turns out. Yes. Well, so acknowledging the fear, but knowing that yes. a, the, our friends at I mean, All Souls have shown us ways to get out of it. And that's good. Well, and I will say that until we put our helpful thoughts to paper here, I didn't realize how important the second half of this was. I had my own Diana in the Woods moment last week that I made you to, you know, privy to where I was like, that's it. I'm snapping. And it takes a lot for me to get there, to be honest with you. And I'm not saying it takes a lot for me to get there within myself. It takes a lot to admit it outwardly which I think is part of this too, which mm -hmm. is to not have sort of fear or shame in the admission of fear or your weakness or whatever it might be, where I was like, let me, I figured it out. I've cataloged what I feel between the hours of 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. It's sensory overload, imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. mom guilt, Ugh, and uh, yeah, yeah, and, and a fourth that I don't remember, like just all of it on rotation and repeat and just the screen headaches because it just felt like drinking from a fire hose all the time. But like repeating those four, the fourth I'm not even remembering. So I feel like instead of like, why can't I remember it? It's actually making me feel better because in the process of mm -hmm. like it's saying those out loud, this week has been just as difficult, but better to handle mentally and emotionally and spiritually and all the things because I let them have their power and I got it like I just emptied it out right it's I remember long ago someone telling me that emotions and fear and all that can kind of be like a pool skimmer where you know <laughs> there's that thing on the side of a pool that collects all the gunk that keeps the pool from looking beautiful and swimmable and all that and if it gets over you know if it gets too full it will spill out into the pool so you have to remember to clean it every now and again and then you can enjoy the waters right so it was one of those where I kind of forgot that it's okay for the skimmer to get full and for you to empty it and then and then start over and so I didn't know how important that was you know in retrospect in hindsight seeing how you've paired these together is like so important because it's not just one or the other it has to be both whether it's an equal measure or just that they coexist exist together since peter and i both had the virus there was a fear associated with that that you know yeah i think we were both in varying degrees able to, to sort of talk about because you know we had milder versions and so that's awesome but i was still waiting for like the night that i was going to stop breathing just based on mm. all the stories i've read <laughs> right? right i mean you just are like okay so it's milder now but like is it going to do that five-hour switch that you read about? You know, so it's, again, it was just the being able to acknowledge with the other person of you're worried about it. 
anyhow, all good stuff. So scary. I know. Well, but that's part of, you know, that's part of, it's what we have to remember and we have to admit it. I mean, when you discuss your fear, it's a way of mitigating it on some levels. Mm -hmm. You know, if you just keep it in your head, it's like one big thing in your head. But if you share it with someone else, then a piece of it's with someone else. You've only got this piece now because part of the piece went over here or over here. It's like dividing up a pie or something. I always liked to, I'll just say about this being Diana having this moment in the woods. I always really liked because there's... There's something visually haunting about going into the woods, right? I mean, you either enjoy it for nature or there's just something a little bit ominous to it. If it's dark, if it's moody, if it's, you know, foggy or whatever. So the idea that she had this moment under the veil of these thick trees in the woods to not kind of be scared of it and find her power there, I always really loved because it could be scary, right? And it was, but then she released that fear and found her power in that setting. Yeah. As opposed to like in a field where it feels like, well, sure, you know, you can see clearly in a field. Right. Yeah. I feel very much like I want to sing Hearts, These Dreams. Well, I always want to sing that song. Uh, when Ashley. We talk about that song. <laughs> I mean, if we don't. Coming soon. <laughs> I mean, are... coming soon. <laughs> are we going to have a podcast without singing? I don't know. <laughs> Does that even happen? Do, do, these, do these dreams go on uh. when I close my eyes? <laughs> Every second of the night. (laughs) Continue. You're not disappointing me. All right. Go team. Right there. Not only do we have a wine note in every podcast, but we have Ashley singing. I know. People have opted into neither, but we give it to you nonetheless. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, this is a good segue. Be kind to yourself. (sighs) I think all of these things really dovetail really well together. They're all just like one big snake ball. No, that's that's a disgusting visual. That's not what this is. But um, <laughs> so I, I was talking to the intern today and I'm like, so can you think of any examples of characters being kind to themselves in the books? And she's like, uh, no, that wouldn't make a very good story. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's true. I love her. But we're but we're I mean, keeping it just, in the podcast anyway. <laughs> and but I mean, you know, just a book about people being nice to each other. I mean, where's the fun in that? But I did want to keep it here because it is so important. Well, and it <laughs> yes. No, but it also leads into something we're going to talk about later. It's Absolutely. a form of being kind to yourself. So, and you know, Anyhow. Yes, it absolutely does. Uh, But I like, I think we should read some of the things we wrote here because they're kind of entertaining. Like, so we're going to give examples. They're not necessarily from the discovery of witches, but they're relevant. Stop looking at those homeschool charts, right? Those fucking people who've made those charts need to be rounded up and put in a camp somewhere. Right. But they used bright colors to denote each cell. Uh, (laughs) That's my favorite. Yeah. Uh, yeah and there are so many light items that you have to be compliant on that they've had to repeat colors as they've gone through them i'm like now that's just not even cool you've gone all the way through roy g biv and you're going back around that's too many things yes right my favorite that corrosion uh how do we pronounce it thank you that's how we pronounce it so that's it right there. Everybody's got like their list of, oh, I've got all this time now, so I'm going to get 
Now I'm going to lose 25 pounds. I'm going to become super fit. I'm going to learn to knit. I'm going to write that novel. And guess what? <laughs> Not doing any of that shit, but I feel like we should be nicer to ourselves in terms of our expectations. I mean, my main task that I've given myself and I am doing very well at it is I am rewatching Glee. So <laughs> I'm on season three. There are 22 episodes in each season. Well done. I'm feeling quite successful. <laughs> so that's that. I think you found your hobby. I think, it, but yeah. see, here's the thing: you were already full of a like a list of really good hobbies. I mean, it's like, oh, I'll take up a musical instrument. Nope, do a few of those. Like, I'll learn to knit. Nope, still do that. I'll teach courses. Wait, still do that. Like, you do all the. I'll reread a book I love. Wait, you do that. So, I mean, you basically just have to reverse and go to what the rest of us have been doing all along, which is right. just sitting around and watching TV. Welcome, we've missed you here. <laughs> right there, you go. Yes. <clears throat> I spent the first two weeks full of rage because all these people were posting on Facebook. I'm so bored. I'm so bored. What are you watching? I need a new show to watch. And I'm like, I want to watch a show. I can't even watch the shows I was watching before this broke out, much less binge watch anything. And finally, I just had to be like, you need to let that go. You're not going to get to binge watch shit during this. So... That's not going to be your thing. You can have another thing, but you can't have that. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's a really valid point. Like how we're <laughs> kind to ourselves obviously looks different for each person, right? So Janet's like, fantastic. I've got this time and I, this is how I'm going to commit to it. <laughs> really? And yours might look altogether different. It might be like, I'm leaving this house with Drew and we're going on a walk. And no, you may not come, intern. You know, <laughs> whatever, whatever it looks like to be kind to yourself. Or you go on the walk by yourself. I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, but it's like, I had that pressure too because we've watched a couple things here and there but I couldn't get on one of those damnable zoom calls without someone being like have you started it yet what episode are you on and I was like I, no I don't have time I don't know what you're talking about right. and then the first 10 minutes would be the damn tigers and the rednecks and I was like oh my god no offense but I was just like what are we talking about and why this can't can we go back I really have limited time do we have to talk about the tigers right now um and then I PS watched the tiger show and can't get those seven hours of my life back so there's that. So just, I guess that to me was a reminder that what someone else might find is being kind to their time and what they want to do doesn't have to be the thing that you do. Yeah. In the interest of full disclosure, we did also watch The Tigers. We're actually one episode shy of finishing. I have not watched okay. it. Okay, well, I'm just going to be clear. Um, when you're done, I still want to talk about it. I, I, and I have no problem with you talking about it just generally, even though I haven't watched it, because I've heard enough about it. I just, I just can't get past the whole big animals in captivity i don't know plus i feel yeah, again it's not great plus i feel like given the politics of the world right now i i'm not sure i could go more into that underbelly i just that's fair that's but, totally fair but i know i'm in the minority so there it is i can't wait to talk to either of you about it i don't <laughs> even think you have to watch the show to talk about it um <laughs> no i've heard a lot i will about just it. i will just say this one this is a thing that i found myself doing this morning the shoulds and should nots and being kind to herself so on a walk and my wonderful partner says I really need to get back in the routine of like 
getting up early and going to bed earlier. And I said to him, I could get very quickly into the, I should, right? Because I'm going to be full disclosure. Our kid has gotten himself into a routine where no matter what time he wakes up, he reads in his room, he does his own thing, and he doesn't come out to show proof of life until 8 a.m. Oh, yeah. All right. So whereas the normal life has us up at 530 and going to the gym and doing things and blah, blah, blah. I find myself getting up when he comes in every morning and says, good morning, mom, and is awake because either I've laid there for a bit or whatever. And Bayard was like, I feel like we should be getting out of bed earlier. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't have that at all. You know why? This time is limited and we will be back on that crazy juggle very soon. And I'll remember that for this very small pocket of time, I got to sleep in at eight o'clock, still do the same job, still get the kid to the same school, you know, still do all the same things and sleep in yes so i was like nope i'm not setting an alarm i refuse i would rather my kid be the alarm because he's at an age where he's doing it at a normal hour plus plus take advantage of the fact basically what you're doing is you're not commuting so why yeah why not it's the hour commute instead i'm horizontal in my cozy little bed i agree Uh, i would normally be out of the office by 7 45 yes so i'm like yeah. No, I'm great. And he was like, oh, I guess I could get on board that. And I was like, you don't have to. I'm just saying for me, don't try and change my behavior. I'm right. great. Thanks, Ahit. <laughs> you just get up quickly when the alarm goes off. Yeah. yeah. And and also, yeah, don't make a lot of noise. Right? Like, right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Well. So, you know, we, we you know what other it. way? Yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I was going to say, you know, another way. Yes. <laughs> Be kind to yourself. Do it. Drink. I'll go. Yeah. No, but we did. I, I want you to say what we waffled back and forth on. Well, I mean, so we always have a wine note in these podcasts. And so we waffled back and forth. Do we do a wine note? Do we not? Is it frivolous? Well, first of all, wine is never frivolous. And I didn't want to give people a message like you should go and take your time picking wine or you should be real fussy about what kind you get. You should just get a lot of wine. Yes, really. <laughs> I mean, you should just we, be able to just you get a case and then whatever. Mm-hmm. We had 14 bottles delivered to our house yesterday <laughs> by a local wine shop. I love you, Nikki. I just love I you. I don't. <laughs> I do too. Drew ordered them. I don't know what they are. And you know what? I don't care what they are. Yeah. Because I'm going to drink them. They're white or red. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right. Two kinds. Right. So <laughs> get excited. But, Ashley. Yeah, in case anyone's still looking for something that looks routine we'll shove this right here in the middle where we normally do to remind you for those that are trying to have like a learned moment here you go we can learn a little bit more about wine so Bayard is going to school us on white blends and I loved when he was talking to me about this as why he chose to do it which is just the idea that sometimes people go after I need to have a Chardonnay or I need to have a Sauvignon Blanc or I need to have a Pinot Grigio or whatever it might be but that sometimes the best wine can be found from a blend of a few of those grapes to create Mm. one that's more palatable and soft on your tongue and all the things and I loved as he was telling me that because I'm like that's sort of like what we're talking about here yeah. where there might be one tool that serves you during this time or it could be a wonderful combination of all that you find enjoyment out of much like a really good blend of wine see now my mind went to how it's like you know you're just grabbing things out of your pantry to, to mush something together to make dinner <laughs> <laughs> because you're not going to the grocery store as often and you sort of look and go, huh, I bet if I put those three beans together with some rice, it would be edible. <laughs> so, Oh my God. 
That's fantastic. But also, because you've said that, I just want to make clear, I don't think, but we'll listen in here just to be sure, I don't think he's going to suggest that you pour three or four different kinds of white wine <laughs> no. into a single glass no. like it's the like it's the soda machine at the 7-Eleven when you're a teenager and you just mix them all. Yeah. Not that. Yeah. Okay, just making sure. No, I just was, because it was more than one grape potentially or whatever. Yeah. No, I mean, it was just, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was my brain doing what it does, which, you know, is in explicable so your brain was apparently in my kitchen earlier because that's what we had for dinner (laughs) so yeah good day or good evening to all of my quarantined friends out there enjoying this podcast today we're talking about blends but specifically white blends we're going to talk about blends because we're all quarantined and we're trying to have a nice blend of a day a blend of maybe homeschooling and outings with our children, or maybe the countless Zoom meetings that you've been having, and thus the adults need a happy hour at the end of the day. So we're going to be talking about blends, again, specifically white blends as we're making our way into the spring season. Now I know what you're thinking. You're probably saying, Bayard, when I think about blends, I think about reds. Well, be prepared to be pleasantly surprised because a lot of great wines out there are white blends. You can get them domestically from the Central Coast region of California, the Willamette Valley of Oregon, as well as the Burgundy, Bordeaux, and Rhone regions of France. The thing to keep in mind next time you walk into your wine shop for a white blend is what kind of base are you looking for? Do you like Sauvignon Blanc? Do you like Chardonnay? Do you like something on the sweeter side like Viognier from the Rhone Valley? The idea is that we're all looking to try something new as we come out of this time of quarantine. So when you walk into your wine shop, definitely know like, hey, I want to try a little bit of Chardonnay Sauvignon Blanc blend. I want to try something with a little bit of Semillon and Viognier and maybe a little bit of Marsan and Roussan. Now, a lot of these are grapes that we haven't spoken of previously, but they make phenomenal white blends that as we, again, come out of this quarantine, you're really going to enjoy and you can get at a rockin' price. So enjoy some of those new white blends out there. Be be safe and stay healthy. All right. Thank you, Bayard. Oh, I have been texting my child trying to get her to bring me some water, some not wine, water, and she won't. Can you text um, her to bring me wine now that I know there's 14 bottles in your house? <laughs> That's really good. I might try that. Hold on. Let's see if it works. Oh, yeah. So here's the thing I love about white wine and blends beautiful things, separate beautiful things blended together to form one beautiful thing because it reminds me of stories. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about is storytelling. And I think storytelling pairs well with a lovely glass of wine. It might even, you know, enhance the stories, but not if my granny's telling them. But I've thought a lot about my granny during this whole thing. And one of the things that I think about is her storytelling and I haven't talked to her a lot, but I know that my dad's visiting with her and she is telling a lot of stories about when she was a kid. She's telling a lot of stories about when my dad was a kid, when polio was still a threat and, you know, she lived through the Great Depression and, you know, one of her ways, I mean, she lives a fairly isolated life anyway. She's a 92 year old woman. So, you know, she deals with isolation all the time. One of the ways that she deals with it is telling stories to people when they come and visit her. And I just think what a healthy, wonderful thing that is for her because it helps her relive moments. But all of those stories serve as reminders of all the things that she's lived through and overcome and what we as a society have overcome. And it sort of gives us hope for whatever the future looks like. You know, all of this stuff has happened and we're still here. You know, we're still going to be here after this. It's just, you know, 
it's going to look different. It's going to feel different. We're going to be wearing masks a long time. And, you know, it wasn't anything for my dad's generation for people to be in iron lungs. That was commonplace then. And that just, that seems unimaginable to us now. We can't even imagine a time like that. I love the thought that she's using these stories to get herself and my family through this time. And I was thinking last night about Time's Convert, which is really Marcus telling his story. Mm-hmm. The whole book yeah. is him telling his life story from like teenage years to when he almost died and yeah. he turned him into a vampire to the present day. Mm-hmm. And we get a whole book that is his story. And that's a way that he survived the time when Phoebe was off being turned into a vampire. That's the way he got through that. And, you know, when he started to get a little bit dark or a little bit quiet, Matthew and Diana would prompt him. And then he would think of something else to tell Mm -hmm. a story about. And that's one of the things that I thought about that we could focus on during this time is telling stories, good, bad, ugly, funny, wine-fueled, whatever. Yeah. Whatever you need. You do you. Yeah. I think your point about how it reminds us, even in a subtle way, that there's hope, that people survive things, or it also, depending on the story, can be something very humorous, which is always, you know, lightens up the rest of the feelings you're having. You know, I think it's a really great idea. And giving the Times Convert as an example is your usual smart self. Eh, No, no, it's good. It's good. Very, I'm over here. I'm sorry. I'm feeling like really emotional on the inside all the feelings because you're making me think of my own grandma first of all when we come out of this at some point i'm gonna show up in kentucky when you're least expecting it when i know you're there and just so i can have the moment with you and your family and your granny that i've heard so much about that we have heard so much about my grandma was very similar she was my i think my soulmate right removed by Mm -hmm. a couple of generations and i remember And this is when she was still here, but then we found them again. The letters that my grandfather had written her when he was in the war that she had kind of saved. And when we were going through her things to, um, so she had introduced us to him, you know, maybe several years before she passed, but then she stopped living in her home and, you know, things weren't the same for her. And so to rediscover them again and think not only of the time that she had first shared that story with us, but to go back to an even time before that. So... The idea that those stories can transcend time, not just because of when they were written and of the time that they're told to when you read them, but the idea that you can rediscover them over and over again and maybe find them when you need them the most. So I really loved you bringing up Time's Convert here because it's a book that we all hungrily read, but we, (laughs) you know, always go back to focusing on the original trilogy as part of sort of the direction the show is headed and where we focus the podcast but there is so much richness to be found in times convert and that was an especially timely reminder of like passing the time and in a simpler way like everybody grabs their phone and scrolls 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 to Mm -hmm. like pass the time but really the best stories are to be found by storytellers around us rather than maybe those that we try and connect with from a stranger standpoint so i love that i have to say that among the virtual things that have happened one of Peter's cousins has organized this, you know, massive Reynolds Zoom thing that's happened every weekend for the past three weeks. But one of the things that has come out, and one of the people who's on it is Peter's 87-year-old uncle, who is the last uh, 
person of that generation who's alive. It was his father's brother. And um, one of the things that people have been doing has been a lot of sharing of different memories at various points, different stories. And so it goes to sort of what you're talking about. It can be a way of sort of unifying us and reminding us of our, our shared history, but also that there will be stories out of this too that are positive. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Well, I love that you all are both reminding that I shouldn't get completely annoyed immediately every time I see that people are making COVID time capsules. <laughs> oh, I had like, really? I hadn't heard of that. Doing that. Yeah, no, that's a thing where it's like you could there's there are plenty of like Pinterest worthy, I'm sure worksheets, templates or whatever that you can fill out. Some of it I think is just a mere writing prompt and some of it is like instructions for what to put in it or something I'm like what like mask gloves, what are we talking about? And I think it's I see it and I think, oh, I should do this or whatever. And then I immediately go to getting annoyed. Like one more thing to do, one more craft project. Thank you very much. Like with a thousand pieces and not enough glue, which is what a lot of the day feels like. And then I think, well, that's if you're trying to do it in the prescribed formula that someone set up for you. But by just taking the time to even write down like here was the Christ Marcus moment and the gratitude moment of the day, Mm. right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be like, you know, full prose and like expanded thoughts it can just be those simple moments like today sucked because and today was a winner because of this and to be able to go back and share the time or like especially you know for like Maxine Jantz granddaughter for for Caitlin for Travis who will be much older and trying to think of like how did I process that time or what the heck was that 30 years from now right Mm -hmm. but I would love to be able to just sit and just write to him a couple times and be like you know we did our best we hung together here the fun things we did and let him go back and look at it and then even for me to see it right Mm -hmm. to tell stories of this time from our perspective and not when our kids go to look at it and they google it or maybe there's a chip implanted in their head at some point 30 years from now who the heck knows (laughs) that just tells them oh you're instinctually thinking of this and it feeds news that to the you know we all have this like wait is that the kind I want to be telling so it's like let us tell our own stories of how we process this time and what we did to survive it and how we got through it together and let them learn from that as opposed to 30 years from now googling it yeah I think it's worth sort of taking it and I think going back to the the shoulds versus the what you should do right um if what you do is you write down something once that counts Right. In other words, if you decide to write something once rather than like, oh, I didn't do it every day, so therefore it's not working, you know, in terms of a journal. I mean, I do have a one of those five-year journals so that each day is under it for five years so you can look oh, back yeah. and see. But literally, I've had days where basically what I just wrote was coronavirus. Ugh. And then the next day I wrote coronavirus because <laughs> that's about all I had in me. Well, but I also will be meaningful. Exactly. But I also thought, wow, if there are four days that just say coronavirus, I'm pretty sure people are going to get a feel for how this was going. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. You know. Oh, well, it's not unlike if you think about it when Diana was secretly journaling in Elizabethan England, but couldn't (laughs) do it in a way that would indicate anything kind of time travel specific. Right. So she had to write specific to that moment where it would just be like, what you ate for dinner like what it was like four very yeah simple facts about the time and yet they were able to read that and infer what the piecing together of that story was that yeah. she was trying to tell yeah that's good yeah absolutely <laughs> anyway it's your commonplace book Jane. exactly and it's pretty pretty focused on one thing at the moment but that's okay <laughs> I can see it. I'm sorry. I just see Janet's is like, 
Day 87, coronavirus, also tequila. Day uh, 112, coronavirus, still tequila. Yes. No, that's in there. Or concerns around the dispensary, but all right, we won't go there. Anyway. Essential services. Exactly. Damn it. All right. So, um. Speaking of. Yeah. I think this goes very nicely in with self-care. It does. Which is, I, I'm not going to lie, that's my favorite. That's my favorite bit of this because, whew, we need to take care of ourselves. Yes. And agree. there are so many examples in the books that we can pull from and then, you know, samples in real life. And, you know, we know that in A Discovery of Witches, Diana, she uses physical activity to help her work through her um, panic attacks and anxiety. And she runs and she runs to the boathouse to row, which I never can really get my head around that, but... That's two exercises. Exactly, exactly. Right. I'm with you, Nikki. That's like, wait, I just exercised twice. <laughs> yes. One would have been totally sufficient. Exactly. Yeah. No, I'm with you. That That's something Peter would do. Well, I ran and now I'm doing yoga. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh. I know, but whatever. But she's very good at that stuff. Yes. And she doesn't even realize why she's doing it, really. I mean, she thinks she's doing it for one reason, but... We find out later that she's actually doing it for other reasons. But, you know, that she knows that that's what she needs to maintain an even kill. And a lot of surviving this time and other stressful times is understanding what we need and what we need to give our bodies, what we need to give our brains to survive these times. And, you know, like so many of these other things, it's going to be different for other people. For me, it's not running to the boathouse and rowing. For me, it's yoga. Yoga's good for me. And <sighs> walking... Woods, neighborhood, whatever. Well, that also... Sort of my thing. Yeah, and can be something different every day, etc. The point is to try to remember to take a moment to sort of do something for yourself. Yeah, and I love this one specifically because this is... I am very Diana like this. That's why I was being quiet. I was like, oh, crap. I'm the one in the group that would would go for the two to three forms of exercise in one sitting team Peter. But why I lost my mind the other day when my child accidentally fell all 65 pounds of him on my knee to because it was just the idea like go straight to anxiety of like no you can't take from me the thing that is keeping me sane like there I've heard people to be like oh no I like to get oh my god I've been taking so many baths to escape my family just crawl in a hot bath and I was like I have that go out and pound pavement or sweat in some way or just get on a bike or do something that's still safe or take on a plank challenge like all these random things because I'm like it gives me something to strive for that I enjoy but also as a sense of of release and please like there's so many things taken from us right now please don't let this be the thing so this form of self-care speaks to me I know like my mom will say to me like oh, I feel like I have to go exercise or else I feel guilty mm-hmm. and I know there's so many people that feel that way and I am like my built more like my dad who is the Diana who rides his bike to the gym then works out for an hour at the gym and then rides back and has been just (laughs) cycling 20 miles to escape the fact that the gym is closed so to each his own right we all and I guess the, the reason I say that is to illustrate the point that we all come out of the same family and yet have a different thing that works for us so we can't assume that because I have a high need to be outside and aggressively working out that that's what my kid needs or my husband needs my husband needs to be in the yard doing non-essential yard things for hours on end with headphones on to be left alone. And I'm like, that's your self-care. That's fantastic. But I love that everybody's looks different. Yes. I have a little bit of advice from Sawtooth. This is the advice for when rage takes you over. 
and I think it's sought to approved, is that sometimes maybe you just need to set some shit on fire. <laughs> the intern discouraged me from saying this, and she said I shouldn't encourage pyromancy. <laughs> and I'm like, is that a word? And she's like, I don't know, is it? And I'm like, I don't know what it is now. Pyromancy. Uh, how do you, what's... Well, pyro... Um, if py- the, like a pyromaniac. Pyromaniac. Yeah, what's maniac is a noun that isn't a person, just a behavior. Is that maniacism? I don't know, I'm making I, it up. I don't know, I don't know. But she wanted me to discourage pyromancy, but I'm just going to tell you right now, sometimes... So people, people talk about bonfires, right? People have fire pits in their backyards, and people have... I have a little gas column thing, and people talk about it being very relaxing, but I think we just need to get to the heart of it. Sometimes you need to set shit on fire. And if you want to call it a bonfire and you want to make it sound peaceful, that's fine. That's your thing. But at the heart of it, you're setting shit on fire and it's making you feel better. As long as it's controlled in the little aluminum ring, it's fine. I, I think that's, yes. You told Sawtoo me to do that the other day. Well, Sawtu did. Apparently, Sawtu spoke through you to me the other day because you told me to step away and go burn something. <laughs> but then you were very prescriptive. Wait, hold on. Before you go, hold on. To before you go, let me be very clear what not to burn. By the way, pyromancy is a word. It is. It means the art of divination by means of fire. God, I love that kid. She's right. Well, she wasn't all the way right because that's not exactly what it means, but... Yeah. It is a word. It is a word, and it has to do with, well, with fire, but it also is sort of spell-like, so it's particularly appropriate. Well, that might be my new favorite word. Yeah, hello, exactly. <laughs> well, if we can't burn things, I will tell you that when I was 15 and I first blew my knee out playing soccer and I went to visit my aunt, who is like my aunt, Emma and Sarah, hybrid and she taught me she was going through a divorce from my uncle at the time they're blissfully back together for many years but she was explaining to me how she had really resisted and then embraced the notion of just yelling fuck really loudly and to janet she's like what do you mean it's tuesday like (laughs) right but when you're 15 that's not something that my parents did right so i was like (laughs) you know and so she was like it's not to say it just to say it it's to aggressively yell it right like get it out of your lungs and like do it in a bathroom do it here do it in the backyard i don't care but like if you ever tried it and i remember the summer that she taught me that and it released so much pent up oh yeah like stress fear anxiety that i had at like 15 and i was like huh and it was like the healthy habit of you know 25 plus years ago that i've taken with me and whatever it looks like maybe it's not fuck maybe it's whatever word you choose for yourself but it's just the idea of like that being a word that kind of I think brings to mind the setting on fire aspect of whatever it is that is just providing some sort of like really aggressive release of it out of your system is a form of self-care because you're getting it out. Absolutely. Yes. All good. I made the double tree chocolate chip cookies. I want those cookies so bad. Yeah. We're making them this weekend. Yeah. We're going to do our own self-care. I sent the picture to Rachel and she's like, oh my God, I'm making them tonight. Mm Mm-hmm. They looked amazing. Yeah, they're dangerously good. It's the you lemon know. and cinnamon. I, that I know. Didn't know. I know. That is a game changer. Yeah. 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 They also bake them at 300 degrees. That's a very, oh, that's yeah, a low bake. oven. Yeah, that doesn't even sound right. But... Yeah. Well, it works. 
So that's it. You know what goes great with cookies? What? Mm. Tea. Tea. Oh, yes. And that is a very Diana-approved self-care. True. Technique. Because the very act of making tea, I believe, is an act of self-care. Because tea is very different than coffee for me. I love them both. But coffee is what you need to get going in the morning. It's not necessarily a pleasurable thing. It's just this is what I need to put in my body to make it do the things. Tea? That's different altogether. You have to boil the water and you... I drink loose leaf tea, so you have to put the tea in the... It's a, rit- in the it's a ritual. You have yeah. to, yes, it, I love the ritual of it. And the very nature of making a cup of tea makes you slow down. I agree. Totally agree. I love that as a moment of self-care. You have this, you know, five or ten minutes where it's just you doing this thing and not rushing it because that's not going to do you any good. And I just... I love it. Yeah. I think to your point, it just says something to your brain and your body that's different. To your point, coffee is a stimulant to power you through the day, whereas it feel like tea is its own way of telling you to just like sit down. It's all right. Calm down. Just take a time. Just take a moment. Lean into this moment. Calm Mm -hmm. down. And, you know, most of them, and hell, all the tea bags, a lot of them, I get that it's a few brands here or there, but they come with the beautiful spiritual sayings on them, almost like they're encouraging that moment. So I don't see coffee bags coming with that. They're just like, get it in your system. Yep. They come with Um, a syringe. They come with a syringe. (laughs) Well, I was thinking when you were talking about a cup of tea, and I'm like, I know that Mart's maybe, her intentions were (laughs) kind (laughs) kind of not honest, but her, but but what she was trying to do was like, I see a problem and I fix it with tea. And I liked that she came up with a yes. blend that had a medicinal purpose to it. And so it to me, I was thinking about this and I'm like, all right, it's, it's not okay what you did. But that's not to say that tea can't have that effect when done and like for the intention that you right. need it to it. As long as you know it. I liked the idea that she was like, hold up, let me mix these few herbs together and brew yourself this and it will help. Mm-hmm. And if we take away what she was doing with mm-hmm. it. In general, you can always find some sort of need to be served with tea. Digestive, detox, calming, sleep, whatever it might be. It almost, it just fills the need. Mm-hmm. Yes. One of our other techniques that we talked about in our prep for this was asking for what you need, which is sometimes incredibly, incredibly difficult because we hope that these people that we are living with, these people who we're sharing every moment of our lives with, can just sort of look at us and go, oh, I think she's hungry. I think she needs a plate of bacon and toast. And that's not happening, really. And so I, you know, we do think it's important that you're able to ask for what you need in in this time because we can't always depend on other people to know exactly what it is we need. For instance, moments ago, I asked my family for water. They brought it to me. I'm practicing what I preach. There you go. The beauty of texting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so wonderful and clean. I texted for more wine, and wine, it, it, it came. It did. It, it just did. appeared. Magic. <laughs> I think that's important. I think that's a really hard one. I think I feel like I saw Diana doing that a lot, you know, where it's like, ooh, I can't. I don't want to be needy. I don't want to say the things that I need. I don't want to admit that I need help. I don't want to admit that, you know, and so I think there's an aspect of, like, you should know what I need, plus uh, I'm scared to ask for help. 
And this is not really a time probably for either of those, right? So I like that this was included in here. I feel like we pointed this out along with the self-care I was going to say as we exited all the self-care. And for this one, shameless plug that you know, we did episodic recaps for each of the episodes that appeared on the TV show for season one and pointed out so many moments of the self-care and the resistance to asking for help or admitting that you need help or, you know, someone not. So the fact that we're circling back around to this in such a different context is, I don't know, it's interesting, but also fulfilling. And I just remember quite a few times I was pointing out that it was like, sometimes you're not sure what you need until it finally comes out right and you have the power to give it i know we were talking about matthew showing up at hamish's house which like i'm just (laughs) i'm remembering from the show version of it it's like wow we live inside a cake what's happening here what's going on but you know it's like god i didn't know that this is what i needed until i showed up and i said oh my god i need to hunt i need to do something i'm going out of my brain and it's like one hunting session a chess game and an honest conversation with a friend and you leave a new man Mm-hmm. It just takes admitting it. Mm-hmm. I also think it's, for me, this isn't one of my skills. I'm not very good at asking for what I need. And I think remembering that people actually want to give you what you need, mm-hmm. you know, makes it a little bit easier to sort of say, it's not a position of weakness to sort of, it's actually a position of strength to say, hey, I'm evolved enough to say, this is mm-hmm. what I need right now. Or this is what I need not to have happen. You know, can either way, that can be the case. And typically, people are responsive to it because the people you're sharing that with are people who love you. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing, <laughs> it's sort of related to what you said, Janet, saying, I don't know what I need. I know I need something, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Yes, that's good too. Yes. And mm-hmm. I will say that early on, it might have been during the first week. Um, that we were, you know, in the house when I still felt very anxious. I know one night I just, I felt myself shaken all night. My heart was racing. I was shaken and the kid went to bed and I didn't know what to do. I, I knew I needed something. I didn't know what it was. And I walked across the room and um, Drew was sitting in his chair and I just laid my head in his lap and cried. Mm-hmm. And... Because I just didn't know what else to do. And I was hoping he would know what to do with that. And he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> right. You know, he rubbed my back and he, you know, he, he comforted me and he said, it's going to be okay. And every anxious bit of me wanted to scream, you don't know that. Mm-hmm. But I sort of choked that back and thought, you know what? Just believe this just for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't really think it's going to be okay. Just believe it for a little while to get through this. Right. And that was actually a, a turning point for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, in sort of pushing through the anxiety and, and, you know, being the anxiety warrior. But it's good to share a life with somebody who sees you struggling and sees that you can't articulate the thing that you need, but can sort of work their way into it, I guess. Right. I think it's a... I was going to say, um, I'm just sitting here wishing I could hug you. I mean, I generally, I generally wish that anyway, but now that it's socially unacceptable to do so, cause I'm not in your immediate family mm. until, until we can, I was going to say it leads in very nicely to, yes. um, what he's trying to say without saying it, which is the last point that we had, which is about how just a, the simple fact of acknowledging that you're not alone is its mm-hmm. own form of 
survival. Right. Right? Because I think we make it worse for ourselves when we're like, I'm the only one experiencing it. Like, nobody gets it. I don't this. Oh, my God. I have to battle all of this alone, which gets at a lot of, I think, what we've talked about already. But him stroking your back and saying it's going to be okay. Like, yeah, as it relates to the larger world and the things going on, it may or may not be okay. But what he's saying, or at least attempting to say to you with my one course in psychology in college that I got to be in, is like, but I'm here. I'm in the whole, I'm in the oubliette with you, trying mm-hmm. to figure out the way to get out. And you're not alone in trying to do that. And even if it's, I'm going to talk or I'm not going to talk, I'm just going to sit here with you to remind you that you're not alone is enough. Right. Like sometimes it's not even the words. It's just like, oh good, I'm not physically alone having these shaking fears. Someone is sitting with right. me. Right. And right. I say that with utmost sensitivity for people who don't have someone immediately living in their home mm-hmm. with them during this time. Because just the being able to physically touch the people in my house. Now, of course, I know we're all having moments of like, please get the (laughs) hell away from me right now. But at the same time, like not taking for granted, like I'm allowed to physically touch these people, right? I'm not supposed to touch anyone else or get anyone else when I'm like the world's biggest hugger, high fiver, handshaker and all the things. So to have a lack of or a loss of physical touch right now because you might be someone who lives alone or um, live in like a senior center or something where it's like you live in a community of people, but you still are in an individual unit within that larger community and not allowed to touch people. So I say that with sensitivity, but I think that there is still a way for you to feel like you're not alone, whether Mm -hmm. someone can physically sit with you or not. Um, I just keep seeing all these rallying cries of community that are making me be like forever reminded that we're not alone because I don't like, again, nicer weather, but I've never seen so many people (laughs) out in nature, in their family units, doing things with the waves and the highs and, you know, just like engaging with each other, almost just like a passing look and a smile and a wave that Mm -hmm. says like, I know what you're out here for and I'm out here for it too. And we're in it together. And I love that just even taking a second to recognize that as its own form of survival strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I um, I was actually talking to Rachel on the phone tonight and she was just like, she goes, I just want you to know that when I see you, <laughs> we're going to have a serious hug. And <laughs> she said, and I'm probably going to cry. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm totally mm-hmm. going to cry because it's going to be that whole release of... Yes. You know, months of not having seen each other mm-hmm. other than virtually. And it's going to feel like such a release. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. But that is one of the great messages of the All Souls Trilogy is we are not alone. We are in all of this together. We share similar concerns and needs. Hmm. And it's and its own community. Else? Yeah, it's its own community, right? which I think we've talked about many a times of being involved in other book or show fandoms or just anything else that you can have a micro community out of that can sometimes either inspire or drain you. And this is one that has never drained us. It's such a wonderful world of creatures, both fictional and real that we've found ourselves among. And it's like, so refreshing. I've really enjoyed seeing just a lot of the social channels of some of the cast and crew and obviously Deb Harkness, our other like podcasting comrades and everyone just seeing how people are handling this time. And it is the moment to go like, okay, well, we're not just the three of us aren't just in it alone. Look, everyone in this community is like doing their own thing to try and keep kind of spirits alive and provide a, an outlet and a release and a shoulder. And I, I love that kind of, you know, feeling within 
this all souls world of you know we are all souls and we're not alone yep that's it that's it that's it i mean that's we are all souls it's it's what deb says it's what this community has taken as sort of a rallying cry not just in this time but in other times and i think if we could end on anything that's what it should be we are all souls period Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us as we discussed all things, all souls. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And then if you feel inspired, I'll say it later. (laughs) I think you should say it now. (laughs) Say it. You know what? I think you should say it now or I'm happy to jump in for you because you're just illuminating the point. You're not alone in trying to deliver it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do it. Well, I hope you did feel inspired. I know we ran really long, and I think it was well worth it, and hopefully you'll stay with us. But if you feel even more inspired after this, we hope you'll leave a review on Apple Podcast. If you'd like to join in the conversation, find us on Twitter and Instagram at AllSoulsWW, on Facebook at AllSoulsWitchyWomen Podcast and Blog, and online at AllSoulsWitchyWomen.com. See you soon. Love you, ladies. Love you guys.